Welcome to week three of Equipped. This week, as we dive into spiritual warfare, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And so, obviously, this has been with me here this week, and, uh, and you don't wear a breastplate as a firefighter, but you do have something that is designed to protect like the core of who you are, and it's your jacket. So tell me the importance of, of your jacket as you are going in to fight fires. Our jackets and our, our bunker gear are comprised of three different layers. And so you have your outer shell, you've got a moisture barrier, and then you've got a thermal barrier. And so obviously that outer shell keeps debris, everything else that's off of you. And then your moisture barrier keeps everything, all the wet from getting inside of you. Thermal one's really the most important when we're talking about fire because it has standards that it has to keep up with and it will protect us up to 1,000 degrees for 17.5 seconds. That's what the NFPA standard is. What? It will protect you how? 1,000 degrees uh, up to 17.5 seconds is what the NFPA standard is on them. My goodness. We can operate in about 500 degrees for a limited period of time. And, and it, why is it important for that jacket and that, that, all that stuff to protect kind of the core of who you are? Well, and you know, that's, that's the cool thing about the human body is everything's in the core. So your body's built to protect everything in the core. And so that's why it's vital because all of your, all your vitals are right here. That heart is what's going to keep the blood pumping, keep the oxygen going through us. And ultimately that's what's going to get us in and out of the fire so that we can keep our minds working and making the correct decisions that we need to. Well, good morning. Oh, terrible South Campus. Good morning. Man, it's great to see everyone North Campus. I know you responded better, but you had to do it again anyway. Sorry about the South Campus. Online family, it's great to have you. If you have a Bible, why don't you get it and turn to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter six. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible, there's one underneath the chair in front of you on the floor of both of our physical campuses uh, or underneath your chair in the riser somewhere around you. We're on page 979 in that Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, you are welcome to take that one with you. It's our gift. We would love for you to utilize it because we know God will speak to you through it. A few years ago, I ran across something from the TV show, The Bachelorette. Now, I need to be perfectly clear about something here. I was not watching The Bachelorette. My wife loves me enough that if she caught me doing that, she would take away my man card, okay? In fact, if you're a dude and you're watching The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, we have prayer at the end of service. You need to get down here as quick as I say the amen at the end. Do not pass go, do not collect $200, $500, whatever it was. Come on down here and receive prayer. To be honest, to watch the show, if you wanna learn the opposite of how to have a vital, healthy, God-honoring relationship, watch that show. Other than that, it's probably no good whatsoever. Anyway, I ran across something on a news site, so I dove into the situation a little bit, and I, I guess the scenario of the show is this, that there's a singular person, a woman in this case, who has all these men vying to have this relationship with her. She was interviewing or talking to one of the candidates, one of the men, and they were talking about um, their faith and sexuality, and the dude basically said to her, um, if you decide that you are gonna have sexual relationships with the other candidates, you might as well just vote me off the island, which I know I'm not combining pseudo-reality TV shows there. Um, but he said, I, I just don't want to have anything to do with it. He said, I gave my life to Jesus not too long ago, and I feel like the way we're supposed to live our life should be utterly different than the way I've done things in days gone by, which sounded good to me. What intrigued me was her response, because later on, she did a follow-up interview on Entertainment Tonight, and she was talking about being a Christian, but how she was so deeply bothered that he would dare say such a thing to her. And her words were this, regardless of anything that I've done, I can do whatever. 
I sin daily and Jesus still loves me. It's all washed and if the Lord doesn't judge me and it's all forgiven, then no man, no woman can judge me. Now let's be honest, at first glance that sounds pretty spiritual, doesn't it? It sounds pretty good and and there are truths in it, like Jesus does forgive us. Truth is we all sin daily and we know it, but the power of deception is in the amount of truth it contains surrounded by lies. Do you see the lies in this? Like it says, if the Lord doesn't judge me, which contradicts a lot of things in the Bible, but here's the big one, four words. I can do whatever. Meaning, God doesn't care what I do. It doesn't matter to him what choices I make. It doesn't matter to him how I live my life because he's just gonna forgive me and show me grace. The only problem with that is like Jesus. Like Jesus was brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. It was an attempt to test Jesus using her as a pawn. So we're in a situation similar to The Bachelorette. We're talking about sexual immorality. Sexual immorality in the Bible is anything outside of God's design for human sexuality. God created human sexuality good for the good of mankind, but it is to be in a relationship between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. Anything outside of that is sinful. This woman is outside of that. She's in an adulterous relationship, and they want Jesus to condemn her. Well, Jesus masterfully moves the accusers from a place of judgment to a place of grace, and then he turns to this woman when all the accusers have left and he said to her neither do I condemn you go and do whatever you want to do it doesn't matter go and sin no more he didn't say I love you and give you forgiveness so it doesn't matter how you live your life just make choices you want to make you do you boo and it doesn't matter no what did he say he said I didn't come to condemn you but I did come to set you free free from what Free from sin. Hear me. Jesus cares how we live. Jesus cares if we sin. But the reason isn't the reason we think. It isn't because he's angry. It's because of the intensity of his love for you. Think if we applied the same thought we have about Jesus and sin, if we applied that to parenting. Let's say I did a parenting seminar. And we had this whole weekend, and I stood up here and said, you know what, parents, it really, we're, this is going to take like seven minutes. We're going to be done. If you love your kids, it doesn't matter what they do. If you love your children, just don't even worry about the choices they make in life. It doesn't matter if they're hooked on drugs. It doesn't matter if they're addicted to porn. It doesn't matter if they're like utterly irresponsible and are going to live in your house for the rest of their life. It doesn't matter. Just love them. How well does that dog hunt, parents? He's like, not at all. Absolutely not. Why? Because you're sitting there thinking, I love my kids too much to say that. Because of the intensity and the immensity of my love for my kids, the choices they make are of utmost importance to me. That is even truer when it comes to God and his desires for our lives. Jesus said, there is a thief. Be aware, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came to undo what the thief did. I came that you, that's us, may have life and have it abundantly. That is the desire of God for you and I. And because of the intensity of his love for us, the intensity of his desire that we have abundant life, Jesus hates with an equal passion anything that steals. 
anything that destroys, anything that kills and brings about death in our lives, and that which steals, kills, and destroys, summarized in one word, sin. Jesus' love for us is the reason the passage we've been unpacking for a few weeks, and we still have several weeks to go. It's why it's so intense. Look at it, if you will. Ephesians 6, let's start in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done everything in life, stand firm. Now, come on. Those verses are intense, are they not? And if we're not careful, we can think God must be really upset. He's not upset at all. It's just intense because of the situation. I'm blessed to have four grandkids, and somehow, by the grace of God, they all live in Abilene. I know that's not what every grandparent gets, and I, I understand the struggle of that. I just enjoy that blessing. Well, one of my grandsons, uh, a young man who just turned four, um, he's a climber. He'd been climbing since he was a little dude, man. Climbs everything. He was climbing better than he walked early on in life. And what'll happen is he'll go into my backyard. And anytime there's a, like a moment of silence for like five minutes, I know what's going on. And I will go in my backyard and I'll find him climbing on something he shouldn't be climbing. And I will address him with a voice that is rather intense. Some would call it yelling. And I'll say, boy, what are you doing? And he'll turn and look at me with a look of genuine bewilderment, like, what? I'm like, dude, get down from there right now. We're not going to the ER on my watch. Look around this backyard. Your grandmother has spent like 10,000 of my dollars creating Kitty Wonderland back here. Play on some of these toys and get off my daggum pergola right now. <laughs> Question, am I angry? No. I'll be honest with you. I expect a four-year-old boy to be dumb. I mean, his brain's still developing. He's still learning things. He, he doesn't know really what can bring harm and what's not. That's why we watch after him. I'm not angry at him, but am I intense? Absolutely. Why? I love him. And I don't want harm to come to his life. And to be honest, I don't want to call my daughter from the ER. <laughs> Since she'd become a mama, she's kind of scary, to tell you the truth, so... The tone of our passage is that of a father, a grandfather, if I may, yelling out of love at his kids. It's intense. It's urgent because there's an enemy, an enemy who has one desire, and that desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's why Paul says with such urgency in verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, when you think breastplate, Think firefighter's coat and think 500 degrees. Come on, like that is crazy hot, is it not? Do something for me today. This afternoon, you go home, get your oven, you turn it up to 500 degrees. And you let it come up to temperature. You'll hear the whoop, 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 the little beep. You know it's there. I want you to open that door. And I want you to see how long it takes for you to get your head close to that, that you can feel the intensity of that heat. And no, it would be really, really vital for you to have protection on, especially if you're going to run into that. 
That's the intensity when the text says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, a Roman soldier breastplate was just as important, just as vital as a firefighter's coat in time of fire. In ancient times, most battle was done hand to hand. I mean, they didn't have guns. They didn't have airplanes, they didn't have drones that allowed combatants to fight against one another, but really not see each other. Now, it was pretty much mono a mono, right? It's why if you look at verse 11 of our text, verse 12, I'm sorry, it says we wrestle, say wrestle. That is not just a interpreter's choice of an adjective they thought sounded better. Some of us think, well, they could have said like fight or battle. We fight not against flesh and blood. We battle not against flesh and blood. I don't know why they chose the word wrestle because it's a very specific word in the ancient language. It means hand-to-hand combat. It means to grapple intensely, personally together. And when you are in a battle that's hand-to-hand, it is inevitable that you're gonna have blows struck against you. I mean, getting your mind a battle With all these guys on a field, they're all going at it one-on-one. So if you're even the best of soldiers, you got somebody behind you fighting, you got people beside you, you got people at angles all around you. You can't guard everything around you. At some point, there are gonna be blows that come against your life. So because of the inevitability of the blows that are gonna come against you, it is utterly vital that you make sure you are equipped, that you have on all your armor, especially a breastplate, because like a Kevlar vest, it covers all the vitals of our bodies. We are in a battle. I know it's unseen, and sometimes we can think, well, it's unseen, it's not real. Not true. We are in a battle, and it's imperative that we are equipped properly, and we do this by putting on the breastplate of Righteousness. Now let's be honest. Righteous is not a word we throw around in our culture very much, is it? When we do, it's actually a slang term. I I don't know if it's still a slang term. I I don't keep up with all that's hip and cool in society and probably using hip and cool says I'm not. Um, But I know at one point part of the slang was if you wanted to say something was awesome, something was amazing. Like I talk about a trip I went on and somebody would say righteous. That would mean it's awesome, it's amazing. That's not what the word means in the Bible. In the Bible, to be righteous is to be like God. It's to be like God, not just kind of, it's in the way we live our lives. Righteous is to choose to live by the truth revealed by God. The opposite of righteous is sinful, evil, wicked. And I know right now all of us can start to feel a little bit overwhelmed because all of us are saying, Man, I don't know that I really am a righteous person. I still make mistakes in life. See, the basic issue of humanity is that we're not righteous. The scripture says there is no one righteous, not even one. And we think, well, all of us are in that boat. No one's perfect, so it's not that big a deal. The problem is the God we serve, the one who created us, he is utterly, absolutely righteous. And he can have nothing to do with anything less than that which is completely righteous. So those of us created by God to be loved by God, to be in relationship with God, are not now out of relationship with God because we are not righteous. Enter the equation, Jesus. And Jesus lived like humanity was supposed to live, utterly righteous, without sin. And Jesus, the righteous one, went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. And now, when we give our lives over to Jesus, we say, yes, I'll be your follower. Yes, I'll give you my life. You know what he does? He gives us his righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. This is a verse 
you ought to chew on for a little while. It doesn't just say that God made him who had no sin to take on our sin. He who was utterly perfect and utterly righteous became the essence of sin. That, that is how far the Father will go to show his love for you and I. He became sin for us so that when we become in him, we might become the righteousness of God so that when we trust our lives to Jesus and God looks down on us, it's not that he just sees us anymore. It's like we've been covered with this massive robe of Jesus and he sees the righteousness of Jesus. We positionally, once we are in Jesus, are righteous before God. And I, I know you're thinking, but David, I still struggle. I still fail. I, I, I still sin. I, I am far from righteous. What does that say about me? It says that you are in the same boat as everyone else who's listening. North Campus, South Campus, online, anybody who's listening later, it, it doesn't matter. You see, when we say yes to follow Jesus, we are saved. We are born again. But it's not just something that happens in the past. It's a process we are going through that we become what we are in Jesus. So the message of the cross, the scripture says, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved. It is right now in our life that it is happening. So think of a baby. From the moment of conception, everything that child needs to be completely human is there. That child lacks nothing. But at the moment of conception, even at the moment of birth, is that child everything that it's supposed to be as a human? You're going, well, of course not. The baby has to what? grow. The baby has to mature. The baby has to grow into everything he or she already is. Same is true as a follower of Jesus. When we embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior, hear me, spiritually speaking, we are born again. Everything we need to become like Jesus we have. It is present. We are a baby. We have everything of Jesus in us, but we must grow up. We must mature. But here's the difference between biological growth and spiritual growth. A biological growth is automatic. A baby doesn't grow because a baby chooses to grow. A baby doesn't look at mom and dad and go, I don't think I'm going to grow. Baby's going to grow biologically and physically no matter what. Now, I understand that if we do not give the right kind of nutrition, we can stunt that growth, but we're not going to stop it. Spiritually speaking, though, it is not automatic. The scripture says, Hebrews chapter 6, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not equating with the teachings about, see the word? Righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use, who, if I may, by the way they live their lives, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, we can be in Jesus and still remain spiritual infants. You say, well, what's the problem with that? The problem is that infants are very vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. That's why there's such an urgency in our text. 
That's why Paul is like almost shouting with intensity at us. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The two go hand in hand. Maturity comes as we're gonna invest time to learn the truth of God in our life, to discern between good and bad, to distinguish between good and evil. It is putting on the belt of truth, which we talked about last week. But listen to me, it's not just enough to have some knowledge in our head. Maturity also comes as we seek to live out the truths of God in our choices. It is as we seek to be, and I need you to hear a word, and there's gonna be a part of us that revolt against that word, even though in scripture it's such a life-giving word. Maturity comes as we seek to be obedient in our choices. Listen to me. We put on the breastplate of righteousness by obeying God. We say yes to what God says yes to. We say no to what God says no to. Obedience to God's truth best protects all that is vital in our life. And I understand that's not a popular thing to say. I know what's popular. I can do whatever. I can do just whatever, it doesn't matter. God forgives me. God gives me grace. It's a distortion of the grace of God. A distortion that goes back to the beginning of Christendom. Back in the first century church, they had this thought process. God is glorified by giving me grace, and he is. When I sin, I need more grace. That is true. And so when I sin, God is glorified because he gives me more grace. So the more I sin, the more God is glorified, and we're both happy. This is the way the scripture says it. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And then Paul says, by no means, which is an ancient way of saying that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life. He says it violates the very essence of who we are. How can we live in sin if we died to it? Because I, I, I can't tell you how often I talk to people. And we'll just talk about life. And I'll talk about life, and I'll just say life just seems a lot harder than it normally is. We'll talk about the things going on, and the measure of difficulty in their life doesn't seem proportionate to the situation they're in. But, but, but it's real, and it's difficult, and they're frustrated. And I'll be honest, a lot of times, I'll get somebody so frustrated, they'll say, Pastor, I don't know how else to say this. What in the hell's happening in my life? And I'll look at them and say, it's hell. It's the day of evil. But let's ask the Lord why this may be so much more difficult proportionally than it should seem to be. And sometimes we just stop and pray. This is what we do in our freedom weekends, by the way. It's what we do in freedom session. We just pray and say, Lord, why is, it, why is this so much more difficult? You know what we often find out? Lack of obedience. I'm not saying that to invoke guilt. But there needs to be a challenge to our life. I can't tell you how often we'll just start talking about why it's so difficult. And all of a sudden, in the course of a while, it's like I'm hooked on porn and not even trying to battle against it. I can't tell you how many times they'll talk about how difficult life is and all that's going on and we'll begin to pray about it a little bit and it'll eventually come out while I'm having an affair. And then it's not so much that they don't say it's wrong, it's like it's wrong, but then the justification 
begins. More justification than godly sorrow. Or we'll be talking to somebody about why Jesus, just why is life so much harder than it needs to be? And God will bring back to the mind something he challenged them to step out of faith and say yes to. Have you discovered every time God calls you to say yes to something that challenges you? And I think sometimes we begin to say, well, when do I get to be in my comfort zone? Never. But the joy is living outside of our comfort zone in faith. But sometimes we'll just get in our comfort zone and we just, Jesus asks us to do this. He asks us again. He asks us again. And every time we say no, we don't have on the breastplate of righteousness. And so when the day of evil comes, it's like we're getting the tar beat out of us. Tired of the people I love getting the tar beat out of them. I want us to be strong. And I'm just telling you, disobedience creates an open door to the enemy in our lives. Let me give you an example. Jesus told a story. This story challenges me as much as any story Jesus ever told. A, a master had a servant that owed him millions of dollars, an unpayable debt. And he forgave it. You know, if you forgive a debt, in essence, you pay that debt yourself. So he paid millions of dollars for this guy's debt. Then that servant who was forgiven millions refused to forgive the debt of a fellow servant that owed him hundreds. And the master found out. And Jesus said, listen, these are the words of Jesus. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. Hear the word. Because that's how some of us feel in our lives right now. It's like, it's like there's stuff going on. I feel like I'm being tortured in life. And then the Bible says words that Jesus said that we have a hard time thinking Jesus would say. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. He, what Jesus is saying is obedience is what protects best what is vital. But when we don't seek to obey, such as not forgiving, that's just one example, we open ourselves up to the enemy to be tortured in life. Another way to say it, disobedience leaves us unequipped. Now, for all of you who are wired tight like I am, and you've like swung the pendulum and thinking, I gotta be perfect somehow in life. Not saying perfect. You hear me? We're not talking perfection. First John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, okay? So can we just all say it now? We all mess up all the time. None of us have it all together. We all agree with that, amen? We're all there. We're all on a journey. Here's the issue. We can say we all sin. We don't have it all together. But here's the difference. We don't pretend it's not a deal. We don't say, well, I can do whatever. And God just forgives me and gives me grace, and it's no big deal. We don't get to say that. What we get to do is come into agreement with God. If we confess these things are sin, we agree with God. That's all confession means. We agree with God, and we say, God, I agree that this is a sin. He is faithful and he is just and he forgives us of our sins and he purifies us from all what? Unrighteousness and we put back on the breastplate of righteousness in life. What if we just had a habit? Here's my challenge. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Some of you are thinking, I've heard that, yeah. Pretty popular prayer. What if we did the radical and actually prayed it? Like every day. 
Father, forgive me my sins. And stop there for a second. Show me my sins. Because I want to be in agreement with you. Because I want to live life to the full. And if he shows it's a sin, confess it. Not just the things we do, but the things we fail to do. Not just the things we do or don't do, but the things we think and things that are in our hearts. And what if he just more and more purified us and purified us and purified us? Then we're going to have on more and more righteousness. And the blows of the enemy, hear me, they're going to come. But you're going to be able to stand. You get the image of someone with a Kevlar vest. I've never been shot with a Kevlar vest on. I hope I never have to. But what I've seen on TV, and you know everything they show on TV is true, um, what I've seen in the movies, you get shot, it, it still hits you, it still impacts you. It like knocks you down. And there's bruising, maybe even broken bones. But there's no death. That's the breastplate. That's what we have on in our lives. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This means we seek to grow in actually living righteously. And we do. It protects all that is vital in our lives. I understand. It's not the popular thing to say. But I want to ask you a question. Why would I say it? Some of you think, well, you're about to ask us to do a very specific thing that benefits you or the church. I'm not. I'm not going to ask you to do anything specific. I'm going to leave that between you and the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to respond to a certain thing in a minute. I'm not going to call out certain sins or anything like that. Here's my only motive. I really do love you. I don't know each and every one of you but I walk these rooms all the time. I put my hands on the chairs north and south campus. To my online family, I put my hands on cameras. And I just ask for the love of the Father to fill me. I just want to see that I have the best in life. That's it. I promise you. I just want you to have the very best. I want you to have life abundant. I want life abundant. I, I, unashamedly, I want everything God has for me. In fact, I know the words of Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will do what brings me the greatest joy. It's interesting. What brings Jesus great joy is that we obey his commands because when we obey our, his commands, it protects us and it leads us life and it brings joy. What father, what mother doesn't have great joy when their kids are doing what is right and living the way they're supposed to live? And one of the greatest aches to the heart of a parent is when a child is making choices outside what is best for their lives. If we really want to bring joy to the father's heart, then what we do is we say, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to stop doing, I just want to walk in the middle of your truth. I want to be righteous. I want to live obedient because obedience protects all that is vital in life. And when we do that, we stand firm. Stand firm, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So why don't we do this? Let's bow our heads for a moment. I promise we should be out of here in not just a few minutes. So you've got time just to say, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? Are you saying anything? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
What if you just ask God to begin stirring your heart for righteousness? Righteousness means to do that which God speaks to us to do. It's not just not doing certain things. It's doing that which he calls us to do. Are we open to the voice of the Spirit, what he might be saying to us to do, the way he might be leading us? I really think that one of the things the enemy has been ministering in this season, this pandemic season, he's been ministering apathy. Apathy is just from a word that means no passion. No passion. No passion to do what God wants me to do. Maybe some of us need to confess that there's been some apathy in our hearts and I just need to hunger again. God, stir my hunger. Would you be so bold? I just, I challenge you. I'm asking God to stir me for righteousness. I'm not talking about a legalism. I'm not talking about looking down on other people because I'm in a different place. I don't want any of that. I just want to be righteous. I want to be like him. I want to do what he wants me to do. I don't want to do the things he calls me not to do because they lead to life. Would we be there? Would we let him stir us in that way? Some of us need to come a long way back. Some of us just a little bit. Maybe ask him for courage to obey. I think some of us have gotten comfortable. And we just say, man, I'm in, I'm in a good spot. I just want to stay right here. But God never wants us to stay there. He stirs us for something. He's going to always be calling us to steps of faith. Things that stretch us. And when we say no to the steps of faith he's calling us to, he who knows what to do but does not do it, it is sin unto that person, the scripture says. So we've got to be willing to say yes just as well as we are willing to say no. That's obedience. We've got to ask him to purify the way we think. Jesus said that hating your brother is like murder. So we need to ask God to purify us from hate. The lust in our heart is like adultery. So we need to ask God to purify us from lust. Greed in our hearts. See what I'm saying? Let's just ask God to do it, but we do it under grace. Now, before we go, every campus, I, I ask you to pray. You just whisper it. Father, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Now, Father, show us our sins. We do it under grace. We just want to be righteous. We want to be obedient. If he calls it out, just say yes to it. Confess it. Say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of this and purify me that I can be more righteous in this way. Some of us have quit battling some besetting sins, some habits. Some of us need to take some radical steps. If we confess our sins one to another, then there's healing. And some of you need to find one close friend and there's some serious matters in your life. I really sense things on the computer, the internet, porn, so common, alcohol, other addictive substances. There's some things some of us are gonna need some help with. But just ask the Lord to show us your sin. Where we have failed to be obedient and say, God, I, I, want, I want to be forgiven, I want to be purified. Where you tell me to say no, I want to say no. Where you tell me to say yes, I want to say yes. Where we have that much courage. Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. So be so bold as to ask God, is there any bitterness I'm holding against anybody? And if there's anything, you say, God, I choose to forgive and I release them to you. And we just keep walking in that place, refusing to let a root of bitterness set in. Father, we thank you that we don't have to strive for righteousness. You've already given it to us. 
it's within us, and now we ask that it would be released. We surrender our wills to you again, oh God, and we ask for the courage to say yes to the things you call us to say yes to, no to the things you call us to say no to, to walk obedient lives. Jesus, we love you, and we want our lives of obedience to bring pleasure and joy to you. We want your heart, oh Father. We want it joyful because of the way we live. Give us grace for it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.